This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging for Canadians. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. We'll have an in-depth look at those new breast cancer screening guidelines that touched off a firestorm last week. I'll be joined by three specialists who will weigh in on who should get mammograms and how often you need them. Also, winter is coming and many of us are looking to escape the cold weather by heading south. Zoomer Magazine's executive editor, Vivian Vassos, will be here to tell us about the best destinations, whether you're taking off for a week, a month, or the whole winter. Miss the Saturday dance. And Zoomer extraordinaire, Tony Bennett, is having a fantastic year. His newest album, Duets 2, is nominated for three Grammys after it debuted at number one on the charts. We'll hear some music from the album and from Tony himself. But first... Here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. An alarming study done by Canada's Heart and Stroke Foundation says that many of us just don't have enough time to exercise or maintain a healthy diet. The survey finds that while most Canadians know that heart disease and strokes can be prevented by making healthy choices, almost half of us say that healthy meals take too long to prepare and that fast food outlets don't have enough healthy choices. A third claim they wish they could use the time spent commuting on exercise. Heart disease and strokes kill one in three Canadians, so finding the time is critical. For most of us, the family home is our biggest investment and the source of most of our nest egg. But according to the authoritative British magazine The Economist, House prices here are about to fall. It says Canada is one of nine countries where housing is overvalued by 25% or more and that we are one of four nations that are at the peak of a bubble. The others it lists are France, Australia and Belgium. Meanwhile, there's a growing trend of Zoomers helping their children and grandchildren become homeowners. And that's according to an American survey commissioned by Better Homes and Gardens. The study finds one in five baby boomers have already gifted, loaned, or co-signed a loan to support their children or grandchildren in purchasing a home, and more than two-thirds of baby boomers want to provide this type of support in the future. What's the key to a happy marriage as we age? It's not what you think, according to a recent study which says the essential ingredient is sex. Researchers studied more than 200 married people 65 or older. Some said they had no sex at all in the previous year, and of those, only 40% were very happy with life in general. But for those who had sex more than once a month, the numbers jumped drastically. 60% were happy with their lives, and 80% were happy with their marriages. And finally, a lot of men you know are shaving their new mustaches now that it's December. Movember is over, and what a success it was. A quarter of a million men grew mustaches last month to raise funds and awareness for prostate cancer research. They raised nearly $37 million for Prostate Cancer Canada, well above last year's total of $22 million, raised by nearly 120,000 men. (laughs) 
Those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. I'm Libby Zneimer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. With the weather getting colder and colder outside, many of us are starting to think about warm winter getaways. Florida has always been the popular choice for snowbirds, but there are many other southern destinations that are also starting to get attention. The two latest issues of Zoomer magazine can help you find your best winter getaway, and here to share them with me is executive editor Vivian Vassos. Welcome, Vivian. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I saw a very interesting stat in the magazine that nearly a million Canadians go south to the States for a month or more. Traditionally, we think of a snowbird as somebody who is completely retired, spends the entire winter there, but that's changing. It is changing, and it is it is true. We still have a lot of snowbirds who have the luxury of time, but we also have people that are looking for that month-long stay that are semi-retired, have control of their own schedules and their own jobs. But what's changing is that we're also calling people winter travelers or sun seekers, not necessarily snowbirds, because not everyone considers themselves, as you said, fully retired and on to the next phase in their lives. You write about uh, a lot of interesting destinations in the States, a lot of them places that we don't normally think of. Places like Tennessee are emerging, the Carolinas, people who are more interested in the experience perhaps of music. Tennessee, you have Memphis, you have Nashville. So there's so many other interesting, rich experiences you can have. And these places are also looking at homes and villas, so places that you can rent for more than a week. Now, in terms of real estate, there's been a lot of shopping for really depressed real estate in the United States. And because our dollar is strong, uh, it's it's something that, uh, you know, is within our power more than it was, you know, in the days of the 60-cent dollar. There are pitfalls, too, to buying real estate in the States. There are. And we actually spoke with quite a few real estate agents who live there, but who happen to also be Canadian. So there's a ton of ideas and tips from People who understand Canada, understand Canadians, and are able to sort of translate and say what the up-and-coming markets are, what's safe, what's not so safe, and where you might want to put your dollar now. And do you have some thoughts on that? One area that we've been looking at and a lot of other experts have been looking at is uh, the Baja. It's the peninsula, if you're geographically inclined, the peninsula that comes below California. Baja Sur, Mexico, or Baja, California. It's a little more arid, a little more dry, so it has that sort of appeal of Arizona for some people who may be arthritic or or don't want to have that sort of dampness that you can get in Florida. Um, And the safety issue is amazing. You've got culture, you've got a two-hour flight from Los Angeles, very easy to get to. La Paz has been rated as a top 10 destination by quite a few money websites and finance websites as a great place to retire. Uh, Canadian dollar goes very far, very close to Cabo, and it's right on the Pacific. You've got language, so you can learn how to speak Spanish. You can learn how to cook Mexican food. And there are a lot of Canadian and American expats that live there. So it's almost like being at home, again, with nicer weather. Okay. And and finally, your pick as an unusual destination in the States. Georgia is interesting because it's sort of that state that people tend to go through. That whole area, Georgia, Tennessee, Carolinas, again, weather is a little less hot. You can go later and stay into the summer because it's not as oppressive in the heat. And the coastline is beautiful there. Okay. On that note, Vivian Vassos, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. Well, Vivian has helped me make my decision. If I go away this winter, my destination will be Baja. 
You can find part one of Zoomer's 2011 Snowbird special online at zoomermag.com, and part two will be on newsstands in the new issue next week. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. In just a moment, I'll be joined by three doctors to discuss what has become a hot-button issue, the revamped guidelines on routine mammograms for Canadian women. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging for Canadians. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. It's been just over a week since the release of revamped guidelines for breast cancer screening, and the controversy is still raging. At issue, the recommendation that average-risk women aged 40 to 49 do not need routine mammograms. The task force also says that breast self-exams, as well as the ones performed by doctors, are not useful. On the other hand, it suggested more mammography for Zoomer women, with the cutoff for screening rising from 70 to 74. Talk about timing. This came out just days before the Canadian Cancer Research Conference was held in Toronto. I caught up with a number of experts there, starting with the chair of the session on screening and early detection, Dr. Heather Bryant, of the Canadian Partnership Against Cancer. The problem is the risk-benefit And so while there is some benefit, it's a smaller benefit for women in their 40s than for women over 50, Um, while there is some benefit, there also is a risk that some women will be diagnosed with a breast cancer that otherwise would have never caused them problems and they end up with unnecessary treatment and surgery, Um, that they may end up with unnecessary biopsies that turn out to not be cancer. And that is really, it's the balance between that and the potential benefit that they're talking about. Well, there are a lot of issues with that assessment. I'm here with two senior research scientists from the Sunnybrook Health Sciences Research Institute. Dr. Martin Yaffe is a physicist and one of the inventors of digital mammography. And Dr. Kathy Pritchard is also a medical oncologist, which means she treats patients. I don't personally agree with the recommendations. I think that for women 40 to 50, it's clear by anyone's interpretation that there's a 15 to 25 percent reduction in breast cancer-related mortality. And the harms that are spoken of that are said in the recommendations to counteract that improvement are basically 95 percent of them, I think, or even more, just involve going to have another picture, another imaging um, encounter, and a very small percent involve biopsies, which are not that um, aversive either. So that the harms that are created, I think, are overemphasized in making this conclusion. Mm-hmm. And what do you think, Dr. Yaffe? Well, I think that the recommendations from the task force have really served to confuse women. I, I think they have undervalued uh, the benefits associated with saving lives and finding cancers earlier so that the treatments can be less complex and less debilitating for, for women. And they've overblown, uh, as Dr. Pritchard said, the harms associated with, uh, with screening. There seems to be a big reevaluation of screening, not just for breast cancer, for prostate cancer as well. I'm not a prostate cancer expert. I treat breast cancer. But my understanding of the prostate cancer literature is that there are no randomized controlled trials, our, our gold standard, 
that show reduction in prostate cancer-related mortality or any kind of mortality from prostate screening. In breast cancer, that is not the case. In breast cancer, there are older studies, indeed, using what would be inferior technology to today that show um, a 30 or 40 percent reduction in mortality for older women and a 15 to 25 percent, depending on how you interpret the literature, for the women between 40 and 50. The issue around screening is that screening costs money. It's examinations in a lot of well women to find the few women who, and it is relatively few, who have breast cancers earlier. I guess I sit at the other end where I see the women that aren't found early and um, women that are appropriately found early by screening. And so maybe I'm biased in that direction. But personally, I was screened in my 40s. I'm being screened in my 50s and 60s. And I will go on being screened for breast cancer. And I guess that's what I can recommend for myself is what I could recommend for any other average risk woman. You were saying that part of the problem of this critique of screening has to do with outdated equipment. Well, I, I think so. Uh, the studies that the task force looked at, there were, there were eight of them. Seven of them used mammography that would be nowhere near uh, what's acceptable today. There was only one that did, and that showed 24% mortality reduction in women in their 40s. So I think that caused the task force, by looking at the data in that way, really to underestimate the value. Now, what about the recommendations for women 50 to 74? Now, first of all, we should point out there's an increase here because the guidelines did not have women over 70 being screened, and now they're saying screened to 74. What do you think of that? What I would do myself in my age group, in my over 50 age group, and what I would recommend to people who are average risk is every two years. One thing about the recommendations that really concerns me and I think confuses women is the suggestion that women in their 40s shouldn't have mammography screening, they shouldn't have clinical breast examination by a professional, and they shouldn't necessarily practice breast self-examination. And that leaves them with precisely nothing. And certainly all of those um, will contribute towards reduced mortality. And in the absence of mammography, it makes the value of the other two, um, clinical breast examination and, and breast self-examination, even greater. I have to say that all the years that I did the breast self-exam, I mean, honestly, I thought there's no way I would know if anything happened. But ultimately, when I eventually found the lump, I mean, there it was. I think it's very common for a presentation to be a woman who's found a lump. And it, even though they may or may not do regular BSE as, as taught, um, they often are the first person to notice the lump. Like you say, when it really happens, you recognize it. Dr. Yaffe, Dr. Pritchard, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Remember, these are guidelines about mass programs, and that means women in their 40s who want screening can still get it. The bottom line? Talk to your doctor. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review on the new AM740. In just a moment, we'll return with a special feature about a 93-year-old ballet instructor who's still passionate about her teaching. And we'll hear from the legendary Tony Bennett. Make it one for my baby, one more for At 85, he's just been nominated for three Grammys. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging for Canadians. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. 
Imagine loving your job so much that you do it for the rest of your life. That's what many of us are hoping for. Well, Rebecca Shear from the AARP Radio Network takes us to Washington, D.C. for a story about a 93-year-old woman with a physically demanding job who has no plans of retiring anytime soon. It's Saturday afternoon in northeast D.C. and behind the wrought iron barred door of 2019 Bunker Hill Road, two young girls decked out in tights and leotards are taking L.A. Their teacher is a tiny woman, five feet tops, and wears black slacks, red lipstick, and a pale pink sweater that matches her well-worn toe shoes. As music flows from the vintage record player in the corner, she gives directions, back to fifth, critiques, you never leave your arm, you see your arm just stays here. She even gives demonstrations, joining her students at the bar as they execute their plies, rondejons, and relevés. This is the preparation. But this is not your typical ballet class, because this pint-sized professeur de danse has to be turned out. is 93 years old. This paper was put up in the 30s, and of course, if you blow it, it'll come down now. But anyhow... Her name is Theryl C. Smith. It's going to be hard to find any paper like this. Not the pattern, just any quality. Everything in this house, the doorknobs, everything in this house is original. And the day after class, we're in northwest D.C. at the longtime home of this petite and proud founder of the Theryl C. Smith School of Dance. My father and mother gave me dance lessons when I was eight years old. When I went to college, I didn't major in dance. I majored in sociology. But in the meantime, my father had given my sister a building for a nursery school in the Joy Park, and I was helping her over there, and one of the parents said, would you please, Theryl, give my daughter dance lessons? And I said, sure. In 1948, Smith opened her own school. Then on the first recital, there were eight children, and then I realized if I was going to grow that fast, I needed to really study some more. So she took classes in New York City, then Paris, and when she returned to America, she knew segregation would prevent her from getting hired at any of the premier dance companies. I think by the time things opened up and whatnot, maybe I was too old. You know, you get 40 or something, you know, you're a little old for point and all that. But she continued teaching and watching her school grow. My enrollment got to be over 100. And grow. And then 200, you see. By the late 50s and early 60s, the lavish recitals given by Smith's students, and I might add by Smith herself. I danced on every recital and designed the costumes. Drew crowds to some of the city's larger venues. And in 1974, she extended her reach even further by creating the Thomas and Bertie C. Smith Arts Foundation, named for her parents, to expose children to the arts. When you disregard the importance of the arts, you're going to lose out with your children because it creates and stimulates your imagination. And you just have greater dreams, I think. Thanks to the foundation, Smith has taught free and discounted dance classes at a number of D.C. public schools, including 
Emory Elementary, where after the lesson, the entire class rushes forward to give Smith a hug. Only one at a time. No, no, go back in line. I feel like maybe I'm still around here for some reason. I'm not through the children yet. They knock you down, hugging you and all that, even though I fussed at them because they misbehaved. If you loved me that much, you'd listen. But anyhow, maybe I can help. Or, given the thousands of lives she's touched so far, maybe she already has helped. But for the sake of the children, Theral C. Smith is determined to hang on to those toe shoes, keep those records playing, and stay on point. That was Rebecca Shear from the AARP Radio Network. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. There's absolutely no doubt that Tony Bennett is having one of the best years of his life. This week, the 85-year-old's newest album, Duets 2, was nominated for three Grammys, including Best Traditional Pop Vocal Album and Best Pop Duo Group Performance for his recording of Body and Soul with the late Amy Winehouse. He was in town recently and spoke with the new AM 740's John Vandreel about the unusual roster of musicians that join him on the album. I look at some of the soloists mm-hmm. who are appearing in the duets, and there's some real surprises there. Amy Winehouse, yeah. Lady Gaga. How do you put this all together? What was in your mind when well, you were doing that? Well, what I liked about the second duet album, the first one was very successful with big, big stars, you know, like Elton John and Paul McCartney and Barbara Streisand. What I like about this second album is that all these young artists, they all came out of schools. They came out of Berklee College in Boston, a music school, Juilliard in New York, NYU is Lady Gaga. It really impressed me very much. I said, this group is going to be around a long time. The duets album out now doing very well. And what other plans do you have for recording? I can't imagine you're going to retire. No, I'm not retiring. I'm never going to retire until I cut out. (laughs) No, I I have a lot to learn yet, believe me. Gets too hungry for dinner at eight. I'm starving. She loves the theater, but she never comes late. I never bother with people that I hate. That's why this chick is a tramp. <laughs> she doesn't like crap games with barons and earls. I won't go to Harlem in Ayman's and That was Tony Bennett with Lady Gaga on the opening track of Duets 2, which was just nominated for three Grammy Awards. You'll also see him on the cover of the winter issue of Zoomer magazine on newsstands next week. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you'll be back next Sunday at noon right here on the new AM740. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. 
Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.